Hello, everybody. Oh, hold on. Let me make sure something's good here. I am trying to. Yes, it's all good. I'm trying to make sure that I have an independent audio recording in addition to the one that you have here because people haven't complained about the sound. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. This is episode 106 of the promotional malpractice live chat. Today is whatever day it is. I'm not even really sure. But you know this. We're going to recap UFC 178 today. We're going to talk about the rise and the future of Conor McGregor. We're going to talk about Kung Lee's hilarious, um, uh, God, what do you want to call that? Self-ownage, disgracing himself to the utmost degree. Uh, we'll talk about that. Popping positive for HGH is what I'm sort of referencing. We'll talk about all the results from UFC 178 itself. So Kat Sangano, Dominic Cruz. There are two UFC fight nights this weekend. I don't find either of them to be particularly good. But of course, like most fight nights, there are at least a few good fights sprinkled in uh, between them. There's also, of course, Bellator on Friday night. There is Battlegrounds MMA. There's many, many wonderful things to talk about on today's chat. And with your contributions, we can do all those things. Best place to do that, of course, is on MMAfighting.com. There's a YouTube embedded um, uh, YouTube player. Um, and at the bottom in the comments section is where you can leave your uh, questions, comments, bitches, gripes, and smart-ass remarks. You may also use Twitter at SBNLukeThomas or email me at Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. Uh, quick shout-out to reader and good buddy of mine, Jesse James. Today is his birthday. I think yesterday was his birthday. Feliz cumpleaños, amigo. Hope you're doing well. Um, we are on iTunes, don't forget, please subscribe. And last thing, before we get started, I'm trying to make these as fast as possible. Last thing, today's drink is not officially brought to you by, but after the fact, when you hear that sound, you know what that means. You wanna get out there and you wanna tell people you're watching this. That means get on Twitter, get on Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, uh, play the knockout game in the street. However, you need to let people know to watch this. I don't know if we'll play the knockout game necessarily, but maybe something just shy of that. Um, let folks know you're watching. Get this on Reddit too, by the way. Those donks over Reddit, I love them. Let them know that this is on. All right, let me take a sip of this horribly uh, unhealthy drink, but nevertheless, full of caffeinated goodness that I'm <clears throat> needing. All right, and for those of you listening on the audio side of things, I'm, I'm drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper. Because that's what real men drink, I guess. Uh, not really. All right. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Not too bad. I got in and out with three minutes. It's a pretty good intro. These things used to go like five. All right, first up. And by the way, there are more comments this time than, than the last chat. Y'all are finally getting back in the groove. I appreciate that. All right, first question, here we go, right away. Do you think fighters will try to promote themselves better once they see how much Conor gets paid? Um, um, do I think they'll try? I think there's a general push going on now about fighters being more vocal, um, doing more things. And in, and in more definable ways. I think there used to be a sort of a clumsy approach to telling fighters, you got to do more, and they, they didn't really know what to do. I mean, again, some guys are born with it. Conor McGregor is one of them. But the, the act of talking is a skill, and you have to develop it, and it's hard to do, and there's different mediums how you do it. You communicate through writing. But if you mean verbal communication, that in and of itself is also um, a skill. How do you relay information you want to relay in an effective way? And that, that is not an obvious thing. It takes time. And so um, certainly I think people are beginning to question, well, how did this guy get so far so fast? Why is he getting more money? 
whether that actually results in people trying to promote themselves more and even beyond that actually succeeding at it, you know, I, I don't know. It's not like he has a really easy blueprint to follow. He's very hard to follow. Um, but I do think things like understanding, okay, if you win a fight and John Anik or Kenny Florian or Joe Rogan puts a microphone in your face, Maybe it's not the best thing in the world to say, I'll fight whoever the UFC puts in front of me. They actually don't want you to say that. Your fans don't want you to say that. Your non-fans don't want you to say that. UFC brass don't want you to say that. No one really wants you to say that except maybe you because you don't really know what else to say. And that's understandable because it takes time to develop these things. But long story short, it's not like what Connor is doing is, is easily replicated. In fact, it's quite difficult to do, which is why he's sort of very much a one-of-a-kind guy. Um, but I do think that there's a general way you can say, okay, if media asks you this, or you're in X or Y or Z position, respond with something a little bit different. But I, I just think we have to accept that some of these guys are just always going to be terrible self-promoters. They could be good husbands and good people and maybe even funny. But in, in, when the red light comes on on the back of the camera, some of them just fade, you know? Um, I just think that the, I think that's the way to go forward is like define, you know, quantum bracket chunks of like the fighter experience. Okay. When you're in this situation, try to say something not, you know, we're not writing it out for them, but like, again, if you win and Joe Rogan asks you who you want to fight next, tell, name somebody, name two people, whatever. Um, and you know, whatever, however you need to do it, do it. I also think the idea that fighters need to share more of themselves, even if you're not necessarily the best self promoter. Um, if you can share a part of your life, that is in and of itself kind of interesting and makes people turn their head for a moment. Um, a little bit of candor. And how much you want to share is up to you, you know. I, I can understand why people are uh, more private than other ones. But this is, a, this is we live in a world, simply speaking, where um, interesting people make themselves more accessible almost always. Not quite. There's obviously some pretty strong counterexamples. But most examples, I mean, the most interesting people are the ones who are the most examined. And therefore, either by hook or by crook, we know more about them. Uh, what to make of Demetrius Johnson's lack of popularity? Based on UFC Embedded and the UFC 178 TV promos, the UFC was heavily pushing McGregor, Poirier, Cerrone, and Alvarez. If the fans aren't excited for Johnson like other champs, what should the UFC be expected to do? Do you really think fans would warm to his fights if he was being pushed as a main event fighter? If he wasn't, excuse me. What, what do you think is the main reason for Johnson and or the flyweight division is it really embraced? I do think, I, I think that's something I've talked about a little bit, but two major reasons. One, there is a structural, uh, an inherent bias against flyweights. I think you just have to accept that. It's unfair, and there's nothing you can do about that. You basically have to accept it. Anybody at flyweight who succeeds as a promotional entity will be a guy who overcomes these biases, not someone who proves they don't exist. And so to me, if you find someone who actually becomes you know, a guy at flyweight, or a woman at 125, if they ever develop a class, you get the idea. Um, and they sell, let's say, 500,000 pay-per-view buys. You would say, this guy, I mean, you're being graded on a curve at that point, right? That guy, if he was a light heavyweight, would be worth a million. Because I think you have to overcome a dramatic amount of even educated fan bias about your worth as a competitor in a sport where you are selling the ability to, to borderline execute another man. Um, you know, I, I, I often see other guys complaining. I think they're right because I think they're sort of 
I think a lot of female, I think a lot of heroines in a, in action flicks are just sort of missold, um, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, these women are sort of being put up to be involved in these feats of athleticism that that not even a man could do. And I think there's actually some merit to the argument. I think some of it might be sexism too, but the point being is there's fair or unfair. Um, there's going to be just sort of limits on the on the on the casual and even hardcore fans mind about what this person of this stature is capable of doing reasonably speaking especially relative to his peers which are always going to be measured against it's not the the it's not the flyweights whenever they compete it's nothing but a car to flyweights it's the flyweights and then oh here's a middleweight fight and oh here's a welterweight fight and so it's really sort of hard to succeed in that environment that's the first thing the other part is man some people are just interesting to other people and some people are not and and some people are kind of in the middle and on Demetrius Johnson does himself no favors, to be honest. You know, I understand when you're the champ, you're saying, I don't need to call anybody out. I'm the champ. You come to me. I, I'm, I'm receptive to that argument. But And if he doesn't care about the fact that he is where he is, then then all this discussion is moot. But if you're asking me why he isn't more popular, saying things like, oh, I just sit by the phone and wait. Gee, that sounds interesting, DJ. <laughs> um why would you say something like that? Again, if you just don't care, then I can see why you would say that. But if you care at all, if there's part of him, even a little bit, that's like, ah, this is a little unfair. You know, uh, I acknowledge it's unfair. Up to you to do something about it. Up to you to prove them wrong. It is entirely on them if you're a flyweight. And I think it's going to be someone like a Conor McGregor or a Prince Nassim. Um, that's going to be someone out there who is going to be a loudmouth and a braggart and... Um, you know, maybe who can punch like John Dodson and can move like DJ, but is just a complete prick slash over-the-top personality. And what you have next right now is a guy who like mows his yard every Sunday. Um, and you know, you got you got Smithers. Smithers is basically the flyweight champ. That's that's kind of what you got. And that's just you know, again, Smithers was a devout husband and a great father and a loyal going church man and whatever else all kinds of wonderful things that are actually much more important than being the most marketable fighter on earth we're talking about being a well-rounded interesting human person but that's also in terms of the occupation probably not the best position to occupy for maximizing pay-per-view revenue um i also think you know dj's beating these guys pretty handily like carry also wasn't in his um, league, but a lot of these flyweight fights are just like, it's so, everyone's like, oh my God, they move so fast, and blah, 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 blah. They move so fast because they can, and they don't knock out as much because they can't. And that is going to be, again, a structural problem inherent in all flyweight fighting, with exceptions here or there, Lineker and Dodson, uh, to a lesser extent, Bagautinov, that they have to overcome. They're gonna be the, they're gonna be the guys who have to say, okay, um, I am 125 pounds. It is not fair, but if I'm going to get from A to B, it is completely up to me. Oh, guess what? I banged your mom, and you're a loser, and look at my chain, and I'm so rich. DJ has cool sponsors, man. He's got nothing but Xbox gear. I think it's kind of awesome. Simplified, to the point, high-end brand. You know, he's got some things he could use if he wanted to take that road. If he doesn't, cool, I get that too, you know. Um, your thoughts on Cat's team prohibiting the media from inquiring about Kat's personal issues outside the cage. I understand it was a must prior to her fight so she doesn't get distracted, but how come the media didn't inquire about it post-fight? 
I remember hearing John Morgan saying some MMA media were frustrated they couldn't ask Zingano those questions. Um, that one to me is not too mysterious. First of all, understand at some point she probably will tell those stories about what the last year was like. I don't think this is going to be hidden in some vault entirely inaccessible for the rest of eternity. We'll, we'll get to the bottom of this eventually. Um, that's the first. Second, I actually kind of admire her team for being like, listen, you know what? I know you guys have a job to do. So do we. And our job essentially supersedes yours. You know, and if somebody had enough of an important, robust connection to Katzengano to get the exclusive on that, good on them. But none of us do. Or at least not this time, anyway. Um, the third thing is this, man. I talk about it all the time. Well, not all the time, I should say. I talk about it sometimes. I'm even a little reluctant to mention it now because I don't want to be one of these guys who like brings it out all the time. But I'll just share this with you. Um, and I think I mentioned this before. Uh, I lost my mother to suicide. You know, And so Zingano had that injury she dealt with the past year. Plus the suicide of her, you know, I don't know if it was a estranged husband. That was the way it was described. But we don't really know the full story. That's part of the whole mystery here. But you know, I've experienced it, man. And a year after that, I don't even know where my head was. And, you know, husband versus mother, I don't know what the differences would be. I, I haven't experienced losing my wife in that way, God forbid. But uh, it takes a long time, man. It takes a super-duper long time. And Kat Zingano, I wrote about this in my Signal to Noise column, coming out there muttering to herself, you know, and just full of anger. It fought with tremendous anger. I mean, poise and skill, don't get me wrong, but but... She looked like, I mean, life will slap the S out of you. And if you haven't had it yet, I'm sorry to tell you, it is coming. It is coming. And I don't know when it's going to catch you, but it's going to. Life is very difficult. It is very difficult. And you will be bruised and battered. And some people have it worse than others. And some people get it really bad. And when they get it really bad, and they come out on the other side, um, they're damaged. And again, I don't know if she's that far along. We don't know the story, but I can tell you, man, like I had a drinking problem after my mom died. Um, it was horrible, man. You can't concentrate. And like the truth about it is when you lose someone like that, I mean, it's one thing to hear like of an abstract thing where this person committed suicide or maybe somebody you even had a vague notion of or met a couple of times. But when you lose someone like that close to you, like there's no such thing as getting over it. It doesn't exist. It will never happen unless you're a cold, callous person. You will always carry the weight with you. And, and you, you will always think about things like the sadness that person must have felt the minutes before they died. Right? Because they didn't die in some sort of happy ecstasy of I'm finally getting out of this. They, if someone has taken their life, they are sad to a point where they have become irrational. And then you have to deal with it. And then the mechanism by which they kill themselves is also a terrible, terrible thing. If someone, if someone takes themselves out in a super violent way, that must mean they had horrible views of themselves. Um, you know, people who take painkillers in their sleep, they're very, very depressed too. But it's different. It's different if you hang yourself, you know, that kind of thing. They're really, really tragic endings. They, that speaks to the way in which those persons view themselves. And Kat was probably carrying some of that with her. I don't know. I haven't spoken to her. But her experience was even remotely like mine. You constantly carry that. Eventually, you reach a point where you're able to talk about it. Eventually, you reach a point where you're able to understand some of the things. But it never, it never not hurts. You know, and I, this, my mom uh, passed away, um, geez, 11 years next month or... Yeah, 11 years next month. Jesus, what day? Is it October yet? I don't even know if it's October. October 2003 is when it happened to me. Um, crazy, right? So, like, it's 11 years later, and it feels exactly the same. So, so I could understand why, after a year, a bunch of nosy-ass reporters 
would be told to step aside. Just this is now not the time. I, I completely understand it, and I know it sucks for the fans because you're empathetic towards her, you're sympathetic towards her, and and in understanding it, you actually want to like embrace her and help her, and I completely understand that. But it it ain't the time, Jack. Conor McGregor, can he be the biggest star the UFC has ever seen? Um, I doubt it, but he can get pretty close, although maybe he can be bigger. I don't know. We'll see. I have my doubts he can be the biggest one ever. You know, it's funny. I saw an interview recently. Keenan Cornelius, you all remember him from Metamorris. He had a great match with Vinny. He, um, he said something that really caught my attention. They were asking him, are you an MMA fan? And, in fact, people had reached out to him, and they had said um, – Hey, uh, MMA fighters had come to him and said, hey, can you help me with my camp? And he was like, no, nah, not really. I'm going to focus on my jiu-jitsu, which I thought was also kind of interesting. But that aside, they asked him, are you an MMA fan? He was like, yeah, I don't know, not really. I mean, there was a while there where I followed it really closely. I was an avid MMA fan, and now I'll watch when my, my favorites pop up, but no, not really. And then he said something that really caught my attention, which was, he goes, yeah, I kind of watched from, I don't remember exactly what event it was, roughly UFC 50 to... You know, roughly UFC 120. We didn't know exactly the numbers, but basically that timeline. And something like, like something went off in my head. I was like, that sounds that sounds a lot like the beginning of the Ultimate Fighter era to the end of the Lesnar era, doesn't it? That that UFC 50-ish range is when you had tough kickoff, and then the last fight Lesnar had was. Uh, I believe 121, if I'm not mistaken, right? Or no, because he fought again in uh, Overeem, but he had that huge long break after that. I mean, that's roughly the beginning of the Ultimate Fighter to the end of the Lesnar era, give or take. That is basically the golden age of UFC's run. Can they ever get back to a point where it was like that, where they were selling 1.6 million pay-per-view buys? For UFC 100. I certainly would not be the first person to say no, that they can't ever get back there. They might. You can never limit your imagination in that way. Maybe Conor McGregor is the second coming and he can push us all back to a territory like that. But a big part of me feels like structurally that was the time. That window, that, you again, approximately, UFC 50 to UFC 100, that was the day. That was the, that was the boom period. That was the golden age. And again, who knows what the future holds as the UFC moves internationally and what Conor McGregor can do. I mean, he, so far he's beaten everyone, uh, everyone's expectations, except maybe his own. Um, but you need to understand that these boom periods, they, they, they come and then they go. And the question is, can the initial, major, substantial, most meaningful growth period ever be matched again in a crowded marketplace of sports? Um, I certainly have my doubts. I would never say no. But I think people need to accept that the beginning of the tough era to the end of the Lesnar era, that was the hot point. And we are now in a post-Lesnar era um, that, and we're in a, well, actually much further past that too, but you understand we're in a post-Lesnar era. He is so significant that you can bracket off the golden age of the UFC's run, that super hot point when they went from like niche sports to like major mainstream attraction. You know, not consistently mainstream, but you know what I'm talking about. Being able to hit those heights. I think when he left the sport, that was, that was the end of a period. A major, major period. That's how important Brock Lesnar is. All right. Let's see here. 
Oh, someone says Flanders, not Smithers. Yes, sorry for my poor Simpsons reference. I meant Flanders, not Smithers. Although Smithers was a bit of a, um, you know, that way too, but... All right, uh, let's see. People are asking on Twitter, is there a way to get audio? This is, we're on, I don't know how many times i got to say it, y'all. We're on iTunes. This audio will be up in a matter of hours after the thing. After the thing. So let me just respond on yes before I lose this listener. All right, although the rest of you I'm sure are a little bit bitter. I'm taking forever. Romero and the stool. What did you make of Romero and the stool incident? After watching the clips many times, McCarthy never once mentions the stool being in the cage. He was only interested in the excess Vaseline on Romero's face. Therefore, even if the stool had not been in the cage, it would have taken the exact same amount of time to start the round due to excess Vaseline applied by UFC Cutman. Um, and then someone says, what should the NSA do? What will the NSA do? Well, we know what they're going to do. Nothing. And what does the gap between those two answers tell us about the NSA's NAC? Uh, what should the UFC do with this? Use the official outcome and give Kennedy and Ross the Pearson treatment, the Ross Pearson treatment, and book a rematch. First of all, I, uh, I thought Dave Meltzer had a great argument about booking a rematch. You got all these events coming up this year and then the end of uh, all of 2015. You need main events, and here you got one that initially people were definitely excited about. I mean, people saw Romero and Kennedy, two guys on a hot streak. Hell yeah, let's put them together. But there wasn't any sort of other overarching narrative about it. Well, guess what? Now you still got those things, plus the overarching narrative. Plus it was a close fight, controversially, but it was a close fight. Definitely, that seems to me like another UFC fight night main event you could do. You could do it in Florida. You could do it back in Albuquerque if they want to go back there. Uh, a lot of places, really, you could do that because of the heights it reached. So first of all, I think they should definitely book a rematch. Whether they will or they won't, I don't know. Tim Kennedy on Ariel's show yesterday basically said he doesn't even know if he wants to fight Romero again because, in his mind, can he fight clean? I didn't think Tim Kennedy's arguments on the show were necessarily all that compelling. He sort of basically argued that all this was premeditated. I mean, how can it be premeditated if you had been knocked out in the first round, right? I mean, maybe when they saw what had happened at the end of the second round, they, has, they thought to give him extra time, but that happened at the end of the round. So like, the idea that this was sort of premeditated to me seems ridiculous. It was probably spontaneous if it was, in fact, intentional, but it couldn't have been premeditated. So that argument fell, um, you know, and then... Tim Kennedy saying, oh, I saw him say no mas, but like, like Roberto Duran, but Roberto Duran didn't actually say no mas in that way. He's, he said, I don't want to fight this clown anymore. Um, and although in Spanish, obviously. Um, so there was that, like he was saying he was lip reading Spanish, you know, who knows what that was about. My, my take on this is, that, first of all, you can take the issue of the Vaseline being applied. That was the first major mistake. So, so who was the guy who applied the Vaseline and why did he apply too much? Was he inexperienced? First time, second time, was he truly experienced, just made an error? That's one issue, but that was obviously a problem. I mean, if it went 28 extra seconds, it's a problem. And the question is, why is it a problem, but it's a problem? And first of all, I had many people being like, oh, well, him staying on the stool with 28 extra seconds was because of Tim Kennedy's punches at the end of the round, which were from holding the glove. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. Maybe his corner tried to give him that, but you haven't proved intentionality. No one, to me, has been able to effectively prove intentionality here, which I understand is difficult to prove, but you haven't done it, first of all. Second of all, the reason he stayed on the stool was because of the misapplication of Vaseline and the ensuing issues with the water bottles falling over and the miscommunication. It wasn't because everyone agreed he should have 28 extra seconds, which would then be a real cause for having the contest overturned or the result, you know, whatever, reviewed in, in some kind of real substantive way. 
it was because of an accident. It wasn't because of intentionality on the part of McCarthy in his corner and so forth. And so to me, it was a series of errors. Even if you, I agree with you that the Vaseline had to be fixed before the round could start, he didn't need to be on that stool that time. He's just sitting on the stool. You can, how many fighters have you seen stand and have Vaseline fixed as they stand? Lots. So that to me was a bit of a problem. Um, there was the spilling of the water, whether or not that was intentional on the floor, because then that had to be cleaned up a bit. Um, to me, it was a series of minor errors that collectively added up to a fairly big one. But I guess my response would be, none of us really know what the right answer is. I haven't seen anybody with a good analysis, great analysis about, here's the problem, and here's what we should do about it. What the situation calls for is for those in charge, in this particular case, the Nevada Athletic Commission, to review what happened and explain how we got 28 extra seconds. And maybe what they might find is that everyone tried their best to do their job. The situation got out of control a little too quickly for very minor reasons, but minor reasons, as I mentioned, adding up. And so there's not really any sanction that can go involved, but maybe in the review of this matter, in a publicly released written memo that explains what each person was supposed to do in each of the circumstances, measured against what they actually did, we have a blueprint for understanding what the responsibilities were. Yes, maybe Romero was given extra time, but the most important thing, the order of considerations that McCarthy has to make as a referee is making sure Vaseline is applied in, in, in a direct and, and appropriate way. And if that's not taken care of, it has to be. That being said, maybe there are time limits on what should happen, or there are, is some sort of cause for, um, you know, I don't know, um, censuring John McCarthy, I don't know about that, but making some kind of acknowledgement of, of what he had done wrong. Um, anyway, point being, point being is that, is that uh, to me, the onus is on the Nevada Athletic Commission to explain in a perfect circumstance, it goes like this. And this circumstance is far from perfect. Explain to us how we got that gap each space of how we got that gap. And once we do that, we can have a clear understanding of who failed in the responsibilities, even if they were very, very minor and just, you know, nothing you can really hammer down. I think that is what we need here. We need some clarity about responsibilities at every individual juncture, and we don't have it. What we have is the Nevada Commission being like, well, you know, tough titties. Sorry, y'all. Like, just such an abdication of responsibility, such a lazy, inert, bureaucratic response. Do they have to get out and put out a memo to explain what's going on? Of course not. Would it be incredibly helpful for all the parties involved? Yes. Yes. Would it not be helpful for Tim Kennedy? Would it not be helpful for, for future referees who maybe themselves have a question? Maybe I wonder what was the right answer there. I bet you all referees don't even agree what the right answer was there. That's the crazy part about it. We all think like all the referees think uniformly. No. Maybe there was a uniform way to handle this. If you got 28 extra seconds in a round, somebody made a mistake somewhere. Or many people made many mistakes in many places. Can you please itemize these for us in a transparent public way for the greater benefit? How hard would that be to do? If you do your job, how hard is that to do? Or is it just so much easier to get on UFC Fight Pass and Grandstand? Oh, we're going to ban vandalism for life. We know he retired three days before this hearing, but gee, we got, we got some business to attend to, and you're going to bang your fist down on the, on the chestnut 
I don't know, judging lectern that you're in front of and, and you know, and just sort of pass judgment in some kind of, uh, you know, you're like the Oracle of Delphi kind of way, man. I'm just, it's, it's just ridiculous. Like, can you please do some grunt work? It's the, more, the most important work you can possibly do is grunt work. And I know some of these guys are part-time. I'm sorry, you're not so part-time that, I mean, everyone cries about whether or not the commission, this one and others, can protect the integrity of the contest. And if the commission can demonstrate, which by the way, they might be able to do, that this is just one of the situations where you can't really pin blame on one thing. Things just got out of hand in an unfortunate way. And the guy who applied Vaseline worked for the UFC. All kinds of things about, about how, who was charged with working where and what position. But until we really have a cleaner understanding of what a perfect circumstance looked like and what a non-perfect circumstance this was and explains the gap between there about how we got from here to here, uh, I just feel like they're letting everybody down and they're being lazy and saying things like, well, he can try, but it's going to be very slim. Like, dude, please stop being so lazy. Why are you so lazy? God, please do something. It's the, the most pathetic response. Of, you know, it's just like going to the DMV and you find some idiot smacking their gum and they won't get off their duff to just go do the extra thing that maybe would have helped you. That's what it feels like, man. It always feels like you're going to the DMV, except this DMV can jeopardize the ability of people to, like, earn a living. God, do something. New Jersey sends me... Every time they have even a minor like ring of combat event, who all the judges were, who how everyone made weight, who all the referees are, everything, man. They send you, they disclose everything up front, and I guarantee if there was controversy, they would be a lot more talkative about it than the Nevada Commission. Nevada's just so lazy, man. Thoughts on Romero's performance. I know the stool and the glove thing has basically overshadowed everything. But what did you think of his actual performance? I really wish he'd started MMA earlier. Yeah, well, I mean, he's the best, arguably the best athlete in the whole sport. I mean, to look like that at 36, 37 is, is insane. Um, the holding the glove thing is really interesting to me because it really affects Romero's style in a dramatic way. I mean, Romero could have gone forward, which, in fact, he should have done at, at that point and just clinched up because when he had the glove held. Trying to, I mean, what it, what it does is Romero... I thought Joe Rogan had a pretty good assessment of it, which was he sort of lulls you into sleep and then explodes. And then that works both coming forward and backward. After he hits, he likes to get out of the way. And so when he held the glove, he simply couldn't remove himself from the physical space in time, which is, I mean, not just important for, for anyone's style, but particularly Romero, who, like, has to get in, has to get out very, very quickly. And so um, a dramatic impact, in, you know, to say nothing of eating those shots. That being said... Uh, I thought Romero looked pretty good. His style seems to be cleaning up a bit. I think he makes some questionable choices sometimes about about which things to do. But even that, I mentioned on Twitter, like you know his his attacks are basic, but they're timed really well. His athleticism, he can just jump into things super quickly. So he's aided by the fact that you know he doesn't have Andy Sauer esque level of kickboxing, but he doesn't really need it. Um, and I, by the way, I mean, did you see that scrambling session that he had with Tim Kennedy? Like, that guy can scramble like no one's business. And for a guy that big to be able to do it that quickly is nuts. So, yeah, I mean, he's a sensational athlete. I think they're building him the right way. I don't know how many years left he has in the sport. Certainly his athleticism will carry him pretty far. But, you know, at some point, um, even 40 is too long. But um, I, I thought he's been – I thought what he's been doing is where he didn't quite have any direction. Now he's got – we have a sense about his game a little bit. And um, I don't know. I don't know. I want to, I, the point being, I want to see that fight again, to be honest. 
Uh, Eddie Alvarez, where does he go from here? Uh, he's got to fight someone outside of the top 10, if you ask me. I didn't walk away from that Cerrone fight feeling like he was outmatched. I don't feel like that would be a proper way to describe it. But I didn't walk away feeling like... Even in a loss that could have been a vindicating performance, you know, like the two Chandler, like the second Chandler fight, you know, I mean, he won that fight. I scored it for Chandler, but the point being was neither guy walked away necessarily looking all that bad, although physically they looked bad. But you know what I mean? I, I just really got the sense that he was outmatched a little bit in that one. Uh, I could be wrong, but um, I think I think that lightweight is deep enough that you can put him against a guy um, out in the top fifteen. And it would be a really important, helpful test. Um, let me see who the UFC has ranked. I haven't even looked at the new rankings at all. I know he got put number 10. Which is sort of why I'm saying, like, uh, you might want to put him... Let's see. Oh, man, you've got Masvidal out there. Habilov. Yeah, you could put him against any of these guys. Johnson, Edson Barboza. I know Barboza's got, I think, a fight coming up. But you got Masvidal, Habilov. And then Michael Johnson. Any, any, I mean, he wouldn't fight Michael Johnson because they train together, but you get the idea. Any of those other guys. Uh, Mazadal, I mean, he's coming off a win, so they probably don't want to do that, but I think it would be a hell of a fight. Then Rustam might be a hell of a fight too, although I know he's tweeted the other day. He sounds like he has a fight. But anybody like that. Anybody like that. Some people were saying Miles Jury. I think you give Miles Jury to Donald Cerrone. But whatever. What division has the most speculative PED use? Jesus. Middleweight's been a bit of a show, hasn't it? What division is going to be hurt and benefit the most from all the positive Sam one? Is the UFC damaging itself from all these confirmed positives? Uh, well, I mean, sort of, I guess. True or false? Kung Lee retires from MMA. True. Eddie Alvarez's next fight is Miles Jury. That makes no sense, but stranger things have happened. The next person to beat Cowboy is Pettis for a title. Did y'all not see the first time they fought? It's not a competitive fight. Ronda finishes Cat in one round. Probably. I don't know. Probably. Aldo injured again. Mendez and McGregor fight for the interim title. <laughs> wouldn't that be something? I'll say false, but wouldn't that be something? Askren retires in 1FC. False. Kennedy Romero rematch gets made. I would like to say true, but that might be just wishful thinking. Cruz finishes TJ. I'll say false. Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. Cruz finishes TJ. I'll say true. I'll say true. Over under on World Series of Fighting still being around in 18 months. The way promotions die is like slowly and then all at once. So I don't know if it would be 18 months or not, but I'd be surprised if they're here in three years. Could be wrong. How is this legal? And so someone is showing the hammer fist that McGregor landed. Yeah, two of those hammer fists were, were BS. I mean, listen. The problem with the Dustin Poirier win was that it wasn't as clean as it could be. It would have been nicer if it was a little bit cleaner. But remember, he, he jacked him with the left hook earlier. I, I, I just felt like, you know what? I felt a couple things about that fight. On the good side of things. I think Conor McGregor thinks more deeply about technique than everyone gives him credit. Everyone thinks he's a big mouth of a guy who's got some ability. But the truth is, I think Conor McGregor, and he says it, but he doesn't play it up as much. I think he really is a technician in a way that's underappreciated. I thought his indictment of 
Thai boxing, as MMA fighters use it, was was rather observant. It is probably true. I don't think what he was actually saying was Thai boxing doesn't work or that he could beat Thai boxers in the Thai boxing match. I don't think that's what he was saying. What I think he was saying was the Thai boxing that everybody learns, maybe that's not the best thing for everybody to learn. It's the most available thing, but maybe it's not the best. And moreover, the bad impression of Thai boxing that many MMA fighters demonstrate that may also not be the best thing in the world. Not that Thai boxing is inherently bad or that he could go to Roger Domner and Stadium and become a champion. I think he'd get KTFO'd um, because I think Thai boxing has proven itself to be a wonderful style. But it doesn't mean it's good for everybody or that everybody is uniquely good at it. Uh, and I think that his differentiation, that he's going to use a more free-flowing kind of st striking style as a counter to what is a little more, as he perceives it, rigidity, to Thai boxing is actually pretty damn clever. And it might actually work. How far we'll take him, we shall see. But it's not the craziest dumb idea. In fact, it's a pretty thoughtful idea. And it's a pretty interesting value add to give himself. That's the first thing I thought. Second thing I thought was, again, was it the cleanest win? No. The initial shot sort of like sort of like ricocheting off the top of the where the you know on the border of the legal region and these hammer fists that were clearly problematic. I don't know. I think it's pretty clear. I think I could be wrong. It looked like McGregor was headed for a win anyway, but I understand that some folks are wondering that blah, 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 blah. But here's what I would say on the bad side. If people can say whatever they want, I am not in here to suggest that McGregor can't beat these people. But you know what you haven't seen? You haven't seen McGregor fight off a wrestler for three rounds. You haven't seen it. And everyone, every time some hot promotional guy comes up, everyone's buzzing about him. They completely and always overlook their weaknesses. And maybe he can stuff a takedown for three rounds. And maybe he can submit them off his back if he is taken down. Or maybe he can just blast them out in a round. But eventually in this game, always accept it. And the reason why I think Fedor was adored was because, in many ways, you never had this false pretense about him. In mixed martial arts, it does not matter how good a guy looks. Eventually, someone is going to get him. That doesn't mean they're going to beat him, but they're going to really, really test him. And they might beat him, in fact. I just mean they're going to be brought to the precipice. And the question is how they react in that point. If you think Conor McGregor is going to spend the rest of his career steamrolling guys, you're in for a rude awakening. And by the way, Exhibit A, Anderson Silva. It may take a while, but it happens. And when it happens, it happens with a thunderous boom that is impossible to ignore. Anderson Silva getting KTFO'd brutally and then having his leg snapped in a fight he was already losing where he almost got knocked out again. So this idea that everyone can just, you can live forever uh, beating guys handily, you are sadly mistaken. Someone is going to test Conor McGregor. And the fact is, as good as he's looked, and it has been spectacular, no one has seen him at this level fight off an elite wrestler for three rounds. You may think he can do it. You may be right. The truth is, whatever you feel about it, whatever I feel about it, whatever Dana White feels about it, whatever Conor McGregor feels about it, no one has seen it. We actually don't know. You don't know if... if oh, I know. He'd, be, he'd KTFO. Chad Mendez, he'd KTFO. Ricardo Lamas, he might, but you don't actually know that. You don't really have any proof. We haven't actually seen it. And if we have seen one weakness, that's a little bit of grappling. Now, again, one of those losses was to a gimmicky grappler who's like a 500 fighter. But nevertheless, that has been one of the issues he's had.
We don't really know a whole lot about his wrestling. And someone like Ricardo Lamas will just be in on you at all times. Someone like Nick Lentz. Maybe overall, Nick Lentz isn't the fighter that Conor McGregor is, but we have not seen him fight off someone like that. Fact. Not up for dispute. Not up for debate. Whether or not he can beat them, may very well be able to. I'm simply pointing out the answer to that question is a big, fat unknown, even if you like him or you hate him. So, to me, lots of positives to go on. But... This idea that all the questions have been answered is just fantasy. They have not been answered. One of the most important questions still hangs. How does Conor McGregor do against a relentless pressure takedown guy who gives zero Fs about striking with you? It's not that people have trouble getting in close range with Conor. They don't. He doesn't have this like wicked jab and Frankie Edgar movement where he's constantly keeping you on the outside. No, sir. People get in on him all the time. Maybe he'll stuff him. Maybe he'll triangle. Maybe he'll plot him to death. I don't know. I'm simply saying... That remains uncertain. Let's see. Are you the only one in MMA fighting that trains in a form of martial arts? Um, I think so. Oh, no, David St. Martin does a little bit, I think. Um, I know New York Rick was for a while, but with that hair. You seen his hair? <laughs> That's a funny haircut he has. What's up with dudes shaving the sides of their head and letting their hair grow on top? Conor McGregor does it too. There's this BJJ instructor here locally who's a great guy. He does it as well. It's like, did you not see this go out of style in 1995? Where, remember dudes would shave all the way around their head and have like a ponytail on top? Just looking terrible. I mean, the guy has an unbelievable physique, Conor McGregor. Got a million-dollar smile. A personality you couldn't imitate if you tried your best. Fantastic clothing. Tailor-made. And like the worst haircut in the Western Hemisphere. Well, the Eastern Hemisphere, whatever. Uh, all right. How much does Cowboy versus Eddie... Oh, yeah, I think I missed one. No, I didn't. How much does Cowboy versus Eddie reflect on Eddie's previous competition? Is Cowboy the best fighter Eddie has ever faced, or could the loss be chalked up to the UFC jitters? Or it could be a bad style matchup. could be a bad style matchup. could just be that leg kick thing he just hadn't really had to deal with in that kind of capacity. Chopping onions during fights. Uh-oh, someone got all teary-eyed. I couldn't help but get just a touch emotional as I saw Kat Zingano raise her arms straight up in triumph after she finished her opponent at UFC 178. To think of all she's had to overcome in the past two years of her life and to think the hole she dug herself in that first round, an emphatic victory like the stomping she put on Amanda Nunes, must have felt like some strange mix of relief euphoria Deja vu. Look, what's ever moved you emotionally in this weird and wacky MMA world? You can open up to us here. We don't judge. Um, it's been a number of times, man, where I've had some moments where I was like, I tell you what, before I ever started doing any of this, I tried a bunch of different blogs and different parts of uh, different career paths, and uh, man, they all failed. And they didn't fail. They failed spectacularly. Like, I had tried to, like, advertise them, and, you know, and I remember, God, I remember, um, <laughs> I remember I had a radio show, and it was a terrible radio show, it was a political radio show, and it was so bad, like, the worst radio show you could ever imagine, and, um, and uh, the radio station went under, and then I got the job doing, like, the podcast for, at the time, it was MMA.TV, um, and I remember, like so I said, I did it and it had gone well, but I, there's a website locally here called DCR TV, 
And I remember sort of reaching out, like trying to get, I, I emailed just the guy, hoping to him to listen to it and, and like give me some advice on what I could do better. And I remember he posted the audio and I was like, oh no. And, uh, and a bunch of people from the old radio station had heard it and then wrote in the comments, he has this thing called the mailbag and they like tore me to shreds, you know, all, tore, all of them tore me to shreds. Um, not with their names on it, but I could sort of tell who it was and like what a loser it was and everything. And then, um, and I remember I wrote uh, an email to the program director at 106.7 The Fan, which is a CBS affiliate. And they were like, nah, we don't have any shows available. And I was just like, I'm never going to make it. Radio is just not going to work. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a complete failure, you know. And, uh, and then a year later, I met one of the guys in the morning show from an MMA gig that I did. He gave my number to the program director. Program director put me on one of the guests as a guest a couple of the shows. Four or five shows in, he offered me my own show. And then after that... All this stuff happens anyway. So now I'm, I got Sirius XM, and it's not the story about like, oh, I'm you know the most successful person ever. But I just remember that like there were moments there where I was like, I am destined to not make it. I am destined to fail. I am destined to never have anything work. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if it was perseverance or luck or a combination of the two. But I guess I remember the first time I got good ratings on my radio show, I remember looking back all the way to like every quantifiable, embarrassing public failure and thinking, you know what? It was all worth it. It was all worth it. Uh, you know, graduating boot camp, stuff like that too matters. But that was one of my ones in this career path anyway, where I was like, uh, I remember we did like a, we did, you know, it's a weekend show. It's hard to get good ratings. And we had good ratings. And I was like, can't believe it. You know, I just can't believe it. Uh, Luke, does Cat pose any real threat to Rousey? I love Zingano, don't get me wrong, but aside from her killer instinct and strength, I don't know that I saw anything to make me believe she can win. She had excellent top control in round two, but struggled to get off her back in one. What is her path to victory in your opinion? Man, that's, I, I tweeted about this that very same night. God, you know, it's like Cat Zingano has so many things you look at and you'd say, this, you know, at least could put Rousey in trouble in certain positions and certain spots, and I could see her having all kinds of, Success if she gets into X, Y, and Z. But God, she always seems to fight out of a deficit early on. It's like the one woman you definitely don't want to fight out of a deficit on is with Ronda Rousey. Like, it's, you're just giving up so much territory early. And I know some people watched that fight and their reaction was different than mine. They were like, well, listen, if Misha Tate can put her in trouble and then Amanda Nunes can put herself in trouble and then Zingano can fight out of it both times, well, hey, this proves she's perseverant, and it does prove she's perseverant. And in fact, they may wind up happening against Rousey. But I would tend to side more with the side that it's really problematic to be a slow starter against a woman who is an extremely fast starter. You know, if it gets to round two or round three, listen, Zingano is a, is a, is a Mack truck headed your way. Uh, and as, and as uh, God, who was it? Uh, the rapper Young Buck said would payback on front of the Maybach. You know what I mean? Like, she is a force to be reckoned with in that third round. But, um, you know, getting there is just going to be such a chore. Such a chore. So I don't know, you know. I, I can see how I think she has a good guard. I think she defends herself well. I think she's durable as hell. But Rousey, just with a submission threat, I don't know, man. I really don't know. I... There's so many things I like about Zingano's game, and in that one part, I can't stand, you know. Do you think Eddie Alvarez, Eddie Alvarez will ever become a top five lightweight? I would not rule it out, but you might have to have some managed expectations. Understand he's in his 30s, guys. He's in his 30s. Why am I sweating? Jesus. 
Sakuraba versus Henzo. How excited are you to see this grappling match? Has Sakuraba, well, has Sakuraba been training and teaching at all? Who do you favor? Um, in that same interview I referenced with Keenan Cornelius earlier, he said uh, Sakuraba's been smoking. <laughs> so he's not quite sure he's going to be able to make it to the full 20. We'll see. I would favor Henzo. Um, you never know. But Sakuraba is just beat to hell. You don't know who he is anymore. Granted, it's not an MMA contest, but still, man, grappling is hard, you know? It does take a toll on you. Um, I'm coming now back from vacation, and my God, I can barely sit and stand. Yeah, I'm so beat up. Um, I'm not a world-class athlete, but you get the idea. It's just hard on the body, you know? Anyone who, t who trains will tell you that. Uh, but the difference is that, remember, Henzo is getting ready for Matt Hughes at the Abu Dhabi Super, super Fight, and he's getting ready for Sakuraba. Like, he's in there training a lot, you know? So... Uh, unless Henzo comes in real badly injured from all the overtraining, if that becomes a concern, I would definitely favor Henzo. I just think he's got a more well-rounded game. He doesn't have as many miles on him. Um, and he's sort of really in it to win it with, with these super fights, it seems like. Cruz Dillashaw, how excited are you for this fight? Predictions. Man, is Bantamweight interesting or what? Dominic Cruz, dude, you want to talk about, I mean... Talk about unleashing frustration on poor, Te poor Takeya Mizugaki. God, that bastard. He had a beating coming and didn't even know it, huh? Um, I, I feel bad because everyone likes Mizugaki, right? No one hates – I mean, even Dominic Cruz doesn't hate Takeya Mizugaki. No one hates Mizugaki, you know? He's like the least offensive person on earth. Uh, but, geez, he got, he got molly -whopped. That was That was incredible, man. And, you know, it was funny. I actually was watching um, – I was watching um, Paris Saint-Germain versus uh, Barcelona yesterday, and I had it on, I don't know why, I, I used DirecTV to find it, and so it pulled up like MSG Plus, like one of the, one of the MSG regionals, and um, I left it on after the game had ended, and like a UFC um, Unleashed had come on, some random one, and it was the one with Sam Stout versus Eves Edwards, and then Dominic Cruz versus uh, Uriah Faber, the second one, and... Um, this Dominic Cruz looked like a dramatically better version than that one. I forgot that like Cruz got tagged in that first round. He looked kind of slow and was doing what he did, ducking and dodging and and so forth. But there was a fluidity and an inevitability the moment he started moving. And I saw Mizugaki whiffing on these punches, man. Um, Incredible, incredible fight. I have to say, I think Dominic Cruz, I don't know, he's a fantastic athlete and a fantastic fighter. I don't think he's necessarily the best athlete, uh, even maybe in that division, certainly not in the UFC. He might have the highest fight IQ of anybody. He might have the fight. He has the, he is the Bill Belichick in terms of X's and O's and tactics of this game, far and away, no doubt about it. I know Bill Belichick, you know, never adding offensive weapons for years is coming back to haunt him a little bit, but. You know what I mean? Like, this is a guy who can absolutely break down offenses and defenses in the most systemic, thorough way. I read a quote about Peyton Manning last year, and it was like, Peyton Manning is the equivalent of, like, a financial advisor, and he comes to an opposing team's finances and just audits that. And that is what Do Dominic Cruz does. He just looks at your game, and he audits it. And, my God, he will find your weakness quickly and, I think, exploit it. So, like, to me... I actually favor Dominic Cruz, man. He completely exceeded my expectations. And Dillashaw has too, don't get me wrong. But even Dillashaw was getting, you know, banged up, banged out a little bit by um, Joe Soto. If Joe Soto can hurt him and crack him, what can this Cruz do, you know? 
Dominic Cruz is going to be able to find his entrances. And he's, he might get lit up too, but my God, man. I don't know. I think the king is back, to be, personally, to be perfectly honest. Your views on McGregor. I think I've already shared all that. Connor bigger than Lesnar and GSP. The idea that Connor is even one-tenth of anything they ever were is just not even worthy of discussion. Um, UFC's handling of Jorge Masvidal. The UFC has not given Masvidal a top 10 opponent yet in the UFC, but has given him a good test despite that. Do you think he deserves a top 10 fighter next? Absolutely. How do you not give this guy one? And yes, as I wrote in Signal to Noise, did he finish Kraus in the way that he probably should have? No, no he didn't. All right. Um, that was a knock on his performance, but he completely and thoroughly outclassed him in every dimension of the game. This is a guy who can do everything. He can strike, he can wrestle, he can submit on top, on bottom. He can sweep. He can take a shot. He can do everything. And so I think everyone kind of needs to acknowledge that at this point. Um, Conor McGregor's takedown defense. Uh, there we go. This thing I was just talking about before. McGregor versus wrestler. Uh, Rafael Sunsau. If Sunsau wins this weekend, does he deserve a shot at the title against the winner of TJ Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz? Yes. If he wins, should Sunsau wait for the belt? If that's what he thinks is best for him. If not, then no. Your top feel-good moment of 178. Um, I would say the, the return of Dominic Cruz for me. Even with all of the, the, the empathy I have for Kazangano, I don't know. For some reason, the Dominic Cruz three years out thing is just... Um, and to look that good. God, that is incredible, man. Uh, Connor in cage call out. There's been reports that McGregor will confront. There's there have been no reports that McGregor's going to confront the winner of Aldo Mendez. There's been fans talking about whether it's possible. No one has reported it. Will the UFC allow this? If the, oh my God. Why am I answering this question? Move on. Um, let's move to Twitter here a little bit. What if UFC got three people atop a division where each beats one, lose to one? I could see DC beating Gus, Gus beating John Jones, John Jones beating DC. Then you have them figure it out, and you have what you had at light heavyweight years ago when you had this sort of rotating thing of Vitor, Tito, Couture, and Liddell. And, and that's four of them, I understand, but I just mean they were kind of all rotating on each other a little bit in terms of um, supremacy, and you play it out, and it's always fun that way. Uh, other than the court appearance, any news on how Diaz and Silva's camps are going? Not that I'm aware of. Do you see Marching held as a Bellator champion? Are you impressed by his ground game? Impressed by his ground game. I'm not particularly overwhelmed by the rest of his game, although under the tutelage of Duke Rufus coming along. But for now, he's got, he's got plenty of ground game, but um, he's got a lot of work to do. Is it safe to say that now is the time for Alexander Shlomenko to drop to welterweight? I mean, do you see what Halsey did to him? And by the way, did, if, you, if you follow my Bellator work, you know I called Halsey a long time ago. Uh, I'll take a little bit of credit for that. Um, Halsey just, I mean, ran through him like he was nothing. Which is kind of funny. Remember Bill Redman? He's a, 
Shlomenko's top 10 in the world. I mean, I respect Shlomenko a lot. He's a hell of a competitor, but, you know, let's just be real. Conor McGregor is special. I was not a believer in Conor's hype, nor do I like him, but that doesn't matter. After Saturday, he made me a believer in his abilities and placed among the elite at featherweight. Do you think he'll be the next GSP in terms of star power and pay-per-view draw? If he can win a title, he'll be, he'll, he'll be something like that. But I think without winning a title, you just have to put real limits on it. That, that title is so essential, you know. Everyone who's, not everyone who's a star in the UFC, but most UFC stars are champions. There are some who are not. There are some that are former champions, but it's, that championship belt is like really so important. It's such a prominent place in advertising. It's such a prominent place in, um, in, in fan consciousness that, you, that being a champion is so critical. Not essential, but I mean, it's a major advantage in terms of being a star. Um, Rory McDonald versus Tarek Safadine. Is this a number one contenders fight? Probably, yes. But although this Hector Lombard's still out there. I would like to see maybe the winner fight Lombard if they're up for it. Um, can you pinpoint what it is about Conor's style that's giving one everyone so much trouble? I would argue that there's probably a lot of things. But one thing I've noticed is that he really catches you a lot in weird moments. In mid-step, in mid-step turning direction. Um, he has a... He, he knows when to volume punch and when to single shot. He's got impeccable shot selection. That, to me, really sort of stands out. Like, if he can land three on you, he finds the right window for three. If he can only pop one, he only pops one. He's got a good sort of read on you in that sense. He reads defenses really well. Um, I think that. But more than anything, it's like he catches you in motion. Like, he catches you either flat-footed or he gets you to move a certain way. And then in the middle of that, like, if, I'm, if I have both – feet planted and I have my hands up I'm a little harder to hit I mean I can be hit but it's harder but if I'm stepping in a direction I'm naturally exposing my body in certain ways and he catches you in the middle of that step his timing is just excellent you know and obviously it looks like he hits pretty hard too I think some folks need to accept Conor McGregor can crack um that's a big one look what would you consider a high number for the McGregor show the other night here's what I would say because I had someone like um a buddy of mine who uh, I host the radio show with on Mondays, he's actually the lead host. I only host occasionally. Uh, Ricky Bones, Ricky Benet, and he was arguing, well, this is going to be a 500,000 pay-per-view buy rate. No, it is not. I'd be shocked if this even got over four. Here's what I would say. Thanks to Conor McGregor, this is going to be the highest buy rate of Demetrius Johnson's career. That's sort of what I would say. And I, write, and I say it in that way because it's still going to be like the main event more than anything, is, is truly what matters in terms of buys. It's so critical, both in a positive and negative way. Now, this one was tremendously buoyed by the supporting cast, as everybody knows. But I think what you're going to see is that this is what happens when you have the least enthusiasm around a main event and you have the best supporting cast possible. What kind of UFC buy rate can you get under those circumstances? This is basically what that looks like. I would argue probably just shy of three. Around three, maybe two, two, 250 to 275, at the highest end three. I wouldn't say much more than that. Um, but I do think that Conor McGregor, if he can keep going, can be a pay-per-view draw for sure. I mean, there's just too much about the kid. that I mean, he's Adrian Broner, only much better, it seems like, right? So you don't hate him. So I mean, some people hate Conor McGregor, which is a good thing for, for business. Tons of people love him. He has a nation on his back. 
Um, and he's got a personality for days, you know. It's just if he can have the talent to do all that stuff, if he can stave off wrestlers, if he's got tremendous takedown defense, look out, dude. Just look out. There's your next one. I, told, I wrote about this the other day. Conor McGregor is what it looks like when someone is perfectly promoted. Now, I write that saying he hasn't actually been perfectly promoted. There's no such thing, but it's about as close as you're going to get. The only knock I would have is that I don't think it was really that bright to put him on Fight Pass. At the same time, I acknowledge Fight Pass was used to get things going in Ireland. So my point being is that UFC has so many competing goals that it winds up undercutting them one way or the next. But frankly, given how far and well Conor McGregor has been brought along, both by his own regard and, and UFC's, it's a fairly minor complaint. Like, this is about as good as it's going to get for somebody. And you contrast that with sort of the more tumultuous rise of John Jones, equally meteoric and yet, well, actually, I wouldn't say equally meteoric, but close to being as, as meteoric as John Jones, and yet, um, and yet, um, just so many things that went wrong with that. I, I, I still think that John Jones isn't nearly the star that he should be, or could be. <coughs> Let me some of this tremendous diet, Dr. Pepper. Luke, does the fact that Kong Lee probably only got popped <clears throat> for PEDs because Michael Bisping requested additional testing after seeing a photo of Kong in training looking ripped and jacked, which the UFC granted, prove that the UFC's normal drug testing standards are poor and easily beatable? Um, the half-life for HGH is two and a half hours, right? So that means that not only was, as we know, Kung Lee using, he was using fairly close to fight time. And by that, I don't mean like, you know, all right, time to go for the walkout. You know, I don't mean that. But I mean, um, could be day of, maybe day before. I'm not sure exactly how sensitive the test is in that specific way. But the reason why guys don't get caught with HGH is because, you can do it through your camp, stop a week out, or even a couple days out, really, and be just fine with a urine test, no problem, even with a blood test. You know, So to get caught on that, dude, you must have been on it. On it. <laughs> like, I'll right up until the last possible moment. In fact, he went over that line, obviously a little bit. Um, that's what it means. I don't know that this means like the testing is the most dramatic thing that's improved. It just means that... The tests has, are slightly more adequate, but really, this is just, um, to borrow the phrase of this chat, just doping malpractice, basically. Titan FC 30. I have not, I have not seen it yet. It's on my DVR. Is it any good? People are saying not really. Um, are you uh, are you surprised there has been less discussion or concern about Nick Diaz versus Anderson Silva fight? No, I'm not surprised because I think that the view of the fan is you've got UFC management telling them it's going to be fine. Um, it's not like Diaz is actually in jail, so he's able to train. I think there's a belief that no matter what kind of drinking or substance abuse issues Diaz has, he'll be able to compete at a reasonable level. Silva, well. You know, we have no reason to believe he won't be there. There's all these other issues in front of us, by the way. It's harder to focus on the future now because there's so much stuff in front of us um, all the time. So I think that's also part. There's a lot of noise in between now and then. But if he was struggling or, 
you know, um, that was sitting in jail or there's some other kind of obstacle that was like clearly identifiable, um, then yeah, I would say, I would say folks would probably have some issues, but there doesn't exist, at least not one that we're really aware of. Now, obviously, he's got some issues. If you get two DUIs, man, you got problems, dude. And if you're missing court, you got problems. You you probably have a substance abuse issue. I don't know for sure. I'm certainly not a medical doctor to be able to diagnose addiction in that kind of way. But it's a, at least I think we can all agree a pretty substantial red flag. Yes, um, and I that is the most to me that's more important than fighting Anderson Silva. But I can understand why fans would say. Are we still going to get the fight that we want? Um, any news on the Rumble Johnson issue? And what's your opinion on his grim situation? Three three women have now come out and accused him of past violence. Is he finished in the UFC and perhaps MMA in general? I would be surprised if he fought in the UFC again at this point, to be honest. Um, and I don't, like, I mentioned before that, you know, the UFC just absolutely positively could not have mishandled the Thiago Silva situation any worse. I'd be careful about coming out and saying things like, well, we know that some of this woman's claims are false. I'd be a little bit skeptical about that because after that was said, um, previous accusations had surfaced maybe two days later or accusations of previous wrongdoing surfaced just days later. Uh, <clears throat> I would let the situation play out in a very quiet way. Let's figure out what the actual truth is. Let's let this thing and the adjudicating process that has to be go be put through take place and we'll make decisions from there but if anything about the Thiago Silva situation if there's any lesson to take away it's that it's probably not prudent to say things like we know inside stuff that you guys don't know uh, and then hint at it or state it outright because it seems like every time you do that uh, a new amount of information that was unbeknownst to anyone surfaces, which makes saying all that worthless at best, if not outright. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call that. It just doesn't make any sense. Let's see. Thoughts on Tim Kennedy. Saying on the MMA hour that he did not take a drug test leading up to this fight. Uh, there's just no excuse for that. Especially since he was willing to pay for it. You know. Although, why didn't he go to VADA? Does he, need, he doesn't need UFC's approval for that, right? Uh, commission will accept the results. But then again, he doesn't... He doesn't um, Romero didn't get tested. So, it wouldn't matter if Romero... He just did it himself. I don't think anyone doubts that Tim Kennedy is clean. Although, I suppose he could take tests if he, if he felt like he wanted to. But... Um, yeah, it, I can't believe that. I can't believe he even offered to pay for it and it didn't happen. Drug testing in the sport has a very long way to go. Uh, what was your reaction when you saw Cruz take down Mizugaki? Can you explain what was so sublime about his technique? It looked pretty spectacular even to a layman. But I would be interested to hear your breakdown. The basic argument I would make about that, and there are things you can read. Um, Coach um, uh, Mike Reardon has a great breakdown of it. But the, the thing you want to watch out for is the seamlessness of the technique. You're punching on your feet, you're reaching, and then level changing. Understand most level changing in wrestling happens when you're already bent over, knees bent. They don't happen, it doesn't really happen when you're fully upright. That's a major change that you have to make. 
And what Cruz does is he finds a way to sneak that in to the punch. Punch, head off center, you're bending down, and then you leap into the takedown. And, and it takes a long time to get good at. Most guys never do. Dominic Cruz did it with explosive ability. Takeya Mizugaki never had a chance. Never had a chance, man. And that's a world-class competitor he did that to. Unbelievable how slick that technique is, man. You're up here on your feet, punching, and you got to get all the way to the point where your knee either hits the mat or close to hits the mat, so then you can stay up under their punches, scoop them up, and drive them to at an angle. Which he didn't drive straight back, by the way. Did you guys notice that? A lot of guys have these power doubles where they just run backwards, which doesn't really work all the time, or at least not as much as it should or could, because you when you... When you walk, how do you walk? You walk forward. Now, you can walk backward. Those are the two easiest ways to walk. The hardest way to walk is laterally. That's why when you hit a takedown, you got to cut. That's what they mean when they say cut the corner. Because you have to get them so that they have to step to their side. And then you block that, and then they go over. That's what a knee tap does. the same thing, essentially. Uh, and, for, and for him to be able to, at this range, then change it to that range, cut the angle and everything all in one motion, bros, ladies, gents, that is about the most fantastic thing you'll ever see in terms of that particular technique. There is, I don't think anyone in the sport does it better than Dominic Cruz. You are talking about a master class in how to punch into a takedown successfully. And oh, by the way, landed inside control. <laughs> I mean, Dominic Cruz is just a world-class, ridiculous, ridiculous competitor. I can't say enough good things about him. And by the way, here's a little shout-out to Dominic Cruz I don't think a lot of people remember um, or you may not even know about. So a couple of years ago, um, Jordan Breen, uh, I was part of it, Rami Ganauer, who's the head of Fightmetric, um, uh, John Wertheim from Sports Illustrated, wrote several books uh, about MMA, or at least wrote one book, Blood in the Cage anyway, um, and... Um, I think it was the three of us, the four of us, and then and then it was supposed to be a UFC fighter, and originally I think it was going to be Brian Stan, and then maybe it was going to be Rashad Evans, or maybe it was Evans and then Stan. I forget how that went. And then they both had to bail, and they brought in Dominic Cruz last minute. And Cruz was injured at this point. He was not, he was not returning to competition. I don't know if he had torn his ACL for the second time, um, but certainly he was injured. And I remember this guy had – he wasn't even sure what, like, what the format was going to be. Um, he basically just improved what he knew about – stats and fighting and how it affected him or didn't affect him and was great and this was at MIT man this thing is online you can go find it um I'm on the panel and then I think it's Rami and then I think it's Dom and then I think it's Jordan Breen and then I think it's John at the very end I think that's how it goes um Dom was like the best one on the panel incredible man he's an incredible guy I'm telling you he has the for all the fight IQ praise I give John Jones sorry man Dominic Cruz is the king that's your guy right there. That's your number one, the most thoughtful fighter in the game by far. I don't give an F what anyone else says. Uh, possible matchups for McGregor. Winner of Swanson Edgar. That'd be good, especially if Edgar wins. Winner of Lamas Bermudez. I think that's a direction you go. Loser of Mendez Aldo. Mm, I don't know about that. Or straight to the title now. They're either, I, would like to, I would like to see the winner of Lamas Bermudez. Um, I think that would answer a lot of questions. Unless Bermudez goes in there and slugs with him, in which case it doesn't. I want to see one guy being like, I'm not going to slug with Conor McGregor. I'm going to wrestle his ass 
for 15 minutes. I'm going to punish him. I'm going to take him down. I'm going to hold him down. I'm going to pass guard, and I'm going to beat him up, and let's see if he can stop it. That is what I want to see. I don't want to see anyone who's like, I'm going to punch for him a little bit. No, no. Just go take him. Do, do the whole chill. Chill son and I never had any pretensions, for the most part, about striking with you. He just went in there and took you down. That's what you need to see. That's what I want to see. And then once he answers those questions, if he can beat those kinds of fighters, there's, I mean, look out. Uh, which fights are you looking forward to this weekend and which card? I'm not really looking forward to one fight. Um, Rick Story versus Gunnar Nelson. Again, guys, sorry. I'm not going to get on here. I mean, there might be a couple prospect fights I, I like more than some other ones, but Stockholm card is not that great. Uh, but Story versus Nelson is fantastic, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, the uh, Southern South fight is important against Caraway. Obviously, um, um, McDonald and uh, everyone says Tarek, but I think it's Tarek Safadin. I have two friends, and they're both named Tarek. Anyway, maybe it is Tarek. I don't know. Uh, so those ones, I'd say. I, the rest of them, I don't know. I mean, I don't, to be, I'm not, no, I don't really care about the rest of them. Uh, but that's just me. Maybe you're different. Is Rory going to destroy Safadine this Saturday to prove a point to get a title shot? I would not at all be surprised since it's, since it's his first main event and he's been so close to title shots. Plus, he's got five rounds to do it. I definitely think it's going to be a close fight. I think it's going to look something like a better version of Ellenberger, which is to say I think it's going to be a bit of a snooze fest, but one that Rory controls from the beginning. I think he's going to take center of the octagon, and he's going to pump the jab, control range. Um, the leg kicks are going to be an issue, though. I want to see how he responds to that. That, to me, is the only X factor. Safadine's leg kicks are consistent and devastating and effective. Um, let's see how what what if if – Roy decides to fight him in close or really far outside. I'm not sure how that's going to go. The return of Ilir Latifi. I'd... Someone's asking, what is the culinary, issue, culinary union's issue with the UFC? The issue is not with the UFC. It's with station casinos. Um, culinary union believes they haven't had a chance to unionize the labor force there. It's... Depending on your perspective, that's true or not. Um, and so because they have they have that position, that they haven't been able to unionize the station casino's labor force, um, in their mind unfairly, they have connections to related uh, and, and somewhat, uh, not just aligned, but related unions in um, New York that have strong sway, that help lobby with key legislators to prevent any kind of vote from happening. This is the long story short. By the way, I have to say, for all the legislative battles that Zufa has won, and they've won literally all but one, this is one they can't win. They, they can't win. All the, it's been a failed lobbying effort from start to finish. Not for a lack of effort, and they've been successful everywhere else, so their record is good, but that one state, they cannot do it. And it's unfair. It sucks for you and me. I don't say that as like a good thing at all, but it's been kind of remarkable that all the effort in the world, they from a billion-dollar organization, and they zero progress. Um, Georgie Karakanian in Bellator. Yes, I know I butchered his name. Well, that's, well, I mean, you wrote it. Anyways, how does he do over in Bellator? I think he's really good. I mean, he lost his title to uh, one of Duke's guys. Um, Whose name I forget now, Glenn something, right? 
God, it's sort of embarrassing. I don't know who the welterweight champion or the excuse me, the featherweight champion of uh, World Series of Fighting is. Rick Glenn, I think, is his name, right? Let's see. I'm pulling up his Wikipedia page here on my super slow computer. Yeah, Rick Glenn, one of Duke Rufus's guys, who's very, very good. Um, yeah, but listen, Georgie's a very, very talented guy. I think he'll do really well in that featherweight division. It's another division where they can add guys like that. They've got your Currens and your Strausses and your Pitbulls. Uh, Mike Richmond just dropped down. If they can get Shama, uh, well, they cut Shamalayev, but if they can get Fertile Hospitalayev back, now you've got Karakhanian. It's a sick division, man. You can do some cool stuff over there. So they're building on their existing strengths over Bellator, which I think makes a lot of sense. I think Kogan is tight. I think he's Karakhanian's manager. I think Kogan understands that the new strike force with, with Coker at the helm is going to be a little bit better for him than maybe, I think, as a if you're a manager and you're trying to give your fighter a secure place to be where he can compete and do well, Karakhanian can compete and do well in Bellator. And on top of that, like, who do you think is going to be around longer? An organization that's going to give up all their money <laughs> to their fighters or uh, that has no money to give, by the way, and or a company owned by Viacom? I mean, who knows what the future holds, but I think it's pretty safe to say that it's a more secure place for, for one of your better talents. All right, let's do some true or falses, right? By 2015's end... There are no contenders left for Rousey except for Cyborg. True. Chael Sonnen fights again in the UFC. False. Although I don't know. But I'll say false. Michael Chandler fights for the UFC in 2015. False. Vanderlei Silva's lifetime ban is overturned. False. Do you see the, the zeal and the vigor with which they banned him? That ain't coming undone unless a district court mandates it anytime soon. Conor McGregor skips the queue ahead of Swanson and Edgar Winner. I'll say false, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm wrong about that. Uh, there's a long question I'm not going to do. Cerrone will have a title shot before the end of his UFC career. That's probably true. Zagano makes that out of her first during her title shot. True, I guess. God, I want her to do so well. I think she could, man, but I don't know. Nelson gets a top five fighter next if he finishes story. True. Bermudez and Fury never make it to a title shot. True. Both Barrow and Aldo move up in weight in 2015. False. Overeem is cut if he loses to Struve. He might. He might be. Fighters leaving big money on the table. Dustin Poirier has 11 fights in the UFC and made 34K to show at UFC 178. Conor McGregor has four UFC bouts, and he made 75000 to show, and that number should only go up. I understand that not everyone can talk like McGregor, but are UFC fighters leaving money on the table by failing to promote themselves leading up to their fights? The answer to that, of course, is yes. But that's not the... that's not This idea that, like, God, if fighters just get out there and did media more and, and picked fights with other fighters, they'd make more money, it, that certainly would help individually. But again, not a lot of guys are going to be able to do that in a way that compels you. Conor McGregor is a once-in-a-generation kind of guy, uh, particularly for lighter weight characters, man. He is the heir to that BJ Penn throne. Sorry, that, it is him. It, it ain't Uriah Faber. It's, it's Conor McGregor. At least all indications are it's that way. And, um, you know, replicating that is gonna not easy to do. What is better 
and much more reliable, and if they could do it significantly more effective, is fighters together acting for the collective benefit by providing certain measures and guarantees of pay. That's the only way fighter pay is truly ever going to en masse grow. Without that, it, you're, you're on your own. Someone asks, Luke, what's one rule in the UFC octagon you would change today? And someone says, I better be knees to a grounded opponent. You are correct. Uh, tough Latin America. I haven't seen anyone talking about the fights on Tough uh, Latino America. But from what I've seen, the quality of the fights has been great. Well, I would say the quality has been rather low. But they've been competitive. And so in that sense, because there's parity, you get the best out of both guys. That one upkick knockout was nice um, from, I think, the Chilean guy. But um, the guy I interviewed a year ago or so, Freddy Serrano, got robbed. Uh, and by the way, he's going to drop down to flyweight anyway. I think. I mean, he's a natural flyweight. He's not a bantamweight. And, you know, listen, these guys are what they are. It's limited fights. But to me, the issue is not, oh, my God, did they find guys who can compete with the best in the world? No, they have not found that because it's not possible to find. They couldn't. They don't exist. they got to make them. That's the issue. So the fights have been fine in the sense that these guys are really giving it their all and they're well-matched. But you're not looking at high-quality mixed martial arts. No, you're not. Uh, a lot of true or falses today. I'll try to run through it. Dominic Cruz is a bigger star now than he was three years ago. False. Conor McGregor, he, but he could be bigger, but not right now. Conor McGregor is the biggest non-champion draw in the UFC. False. So, I mean, Lesnar, before he had the belt, was bigger. Like, orders of magnitude. Zingano will be the toughest fight of Ronda's career. I can see it playing out that way, yes. Rory McDonald gets the next title shot if he beats Safadine. Probably. Jacare will have to fight Romero before getting a title shot. Wouldn't that be fun? Two sick athletes. Michael Bisping has unwittingly faced more juiced-up opponents than anyone else in the UFC. Certainly seems that way, man. Poor Michael Bisping, dude. Had to fight nothing but dudes on TRT and steroids. It is amazing. Conor McGregor gets a title shot ahead of Bermudez and even Edgar Swanson winner. I say false, but I wouldn't rule it out, man. Uh, Chris Wyman got into a rant about how American fans don't support fighters because they're American like the Irish and the Brazilians, blah, blah, blah. It came off as very, very whiny to me. Yeah, it came off as whiny to me, too. Um, the truth is, Americans are super pro-America towards their athletes. Certainly during the Olympics, we like our favorites, like uh, for many Olympic cycles, uh, our favorite man who likes to drink and drive, Michael Phelps. People went crazy for Michael Phelps, right, for many Olympic cycles. Um, and... Um, any kind of number of guys you can name in that way. In our own community, Jordan Burroughs, I think, was widely cheered. And he had a nice little media tour for when he won the gold medal. But, you know, look at the World Cup. Like, I think more people responded. Like, people are, you know, when you look at the World Cup, people are like, oh, man, that's, the, that's, that's not an American game. Why do we care? It's like, dude, this is the best time to, to root for uh, America because we're legitimate no bull s underdogs we're not as good as the rest of the world what better time to back your team to give everyone two middle fingers and say you know what I know we're not as good as you and we're still gonna beat you now it didn't work out that way but I mean just getting that kind of enthusiasm that's the time this isn't even our game this is your game and we're gonna beat you on your terms that's how you root for the United States and you saw massive enthusiasm but things like fight sports, like, you know, 
if we're over, it's always about being the other underdog. Of course, Irish fans, they go crazy because they haven't had a lot of UFC. They've been deprived in that way. It was a special kind of moment. But if they had as much UFC as us, they would probably be the same as us. And if we're Americans cheering for an American over in China or Japan or uh, whatever the case may be, if there's somebody who really represents us that way and gets us to speak in that way, you'll see people raise the US, USA flag. And by the way, don't they chant USA at enough effing events when even not supposed to, when Trevor Prangley <laughs> is fighting Yuki Kondo and not one of them is American and people are chanting USA? Is the lack of patriotism really an issue? I mean, if you want to force patriotism down someone's throats, you're not going to get them to accept it. It has to kind of be this organic thing. And frankly, you know, um, maybe Chris Weidman just doesn't move people in that particular way. Uh, I can certainly see that to be the case, but other people do, you know. And when you get when you when you make things like about USA, um, the USA World Cup team, or Jordan Burroughs wrestles for the United States, remember? That's when you get Americans to really cheer USA. But for fight sports, we don't. We personally don't really see things that way. You can get more of it as an other or an underdog. Um, but this idea that we just don't support our athletes who are American is just not true. We don't support them when it doesn't really make sense to support them as Americans as such. If the rest of the world does, it's because they're often smaller, less powerful countries. It's a big deal when you have a one guy who stands out who can do major impressive things. For us, we run everything, so we're just used to it. Ah. <laughs> uh, let's see. I kind of answered this one about what Kavanaugh and McGregor say about MMA fighters having basic movement. Do you think the next stage in development of technique in MMA will come in the form of taekwondo and karate techniques being utilized on top of solid fundamentals? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think guys are going to have these free-flowing open styles that borrow a lot from a lot of different places that have been molded into their own kind of thing. But I just think that the days of like, you know, I'm going to train Thai boxing and I'm going to train strictly gi jiu-jitsu and I'm going to think I'm going to win a world title, man, you're, it's just not going to work that way. You've got to find a lot of different creative elements. You've got to constantly adapt, constantly innovate, constantly add on a set of skills that enable you to do things that your competitors who are more conventional do not. And I think McGregor, at least in the striking department, is a clear and perfect example of what clever, personal, well-adapted innovation can do for you. Metamorris, Luke, would you ever consider taking on a fellow MMA journalist like Robin Black in a Metamorris match? Why do you want to watch bad jiu-jitsu? <laughs> Neither of us are very good. Why would you want to watch that? You can just go to your local gym and see better jujitsu than that. Um, fighters who fought unclean or busted fighters should get a big piece of the fine. Michael Bisping has fought a lot of these offenders, hence he put himself beyond harm's way. This should be a precedent in all of combat sports, especially MMA. If you get caught using, you pay your clean opponent a hefty fine or heck your purse. If both are dirty, then the commission assumes the final on both. Well, um, my initial inclination is you don't. the guys in the sport don't get paid enough to really do that, to be honest. Now, I understand if you're breaking the rules, it's like, well, you're not entitled to this money anyway. But just from a humanitarian perspective, I don't know that's the best idea. That said, if you're going to take away a win bonus and uh, win money, so show win plus win bonus, you're only going to pay a guy show money in the case of Pat Healy because he enjoys marijuana – this seems to me a less uh, offensive way of policing the ranks.
Let's see, I got time for just a couple more. Someone says the mic sounds really good today. Uh, Vandalay Silva. Disparity of criteria, criteria on Vanderlei and Sonnen sentences by N Nevada Athletic Commission since both have announced retirement. And for me, Sonnen's case was a lot worse than Vanderlei's. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned this last week. I have yet to hear a compelling case about why, you know, in the case of Vitor, multiple-time offender um, goes in there and pleads and cries and begs and ends up getting a title shot under strict conditions, of course. But, you know, the conditions that are supposed to be there to begin with. And then Vanderlei just runs out of a room, which certainly I don't think you should get away with, and is banned for life. I mean, what you know, it's the most nonsensical argument. Everyone's like, it's a undermining of commission authority. So is injecting yourself with anything you're not supposed to. You know that the rules are there, and you're just telling them to go F off because you don't care about their authority. You care about winning. Let's do one more, maybe from Twitter, real quick-like. Can we talk about Liam McGeary? Yeah. Um, I, uh, we actually asked Bellator. I asked Bellator about it. They said, um, you know, because, like, Linton Vassell is a good fighter, but he's not, like, how did that happen? McGeary just won the whole uh, tournament. So I was wondering about that. And it turns out that what they said was, um, I don't want to quote him exactly, but the basic idea was that Newton wanted to fight as much as possible. And on the timeline that they had, it made sense to get him someone before McGeary was ready. Um, in this case, Vassal. I guess McGeary, McGeary's still going to get it, but I guess Newton was like, I want to I wanna stay busy. And they said they want to keep their champs busy if they want to be busy. So that's what, that's what they told me. You take that for what it's worth. All right, donks and donkettes, we got to get out of here. I super appreciate you joining me for the chat today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Tonight... <laughs> Real Madrid is going to beat Ludogorets, and of course, Arsenal is going to beat a team I have some sympathy for in Galatasaray, but nevertheless, uh, I'm a gooner, uh, so watch out for those. But in terms of MMA, in case my wife is watching, I got my mug. Um, plenty of coverage this weekend of Battleground MMA, we'll be covering that live, of Bellator, covering that live. We're going to be covering UFC Stockholm, and we're going to be covering that night. So we're going to have all the MMA coverage that you guys would want and need, and maybe not even want or need, but we're going to have it. Follow me on Twitter at SBNLukeThomas. Uh, email me, Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. And until next time, stay frosty. Oh, and uh, subscribe on iTunes.